Hey everybody and welcome to episode 3 of Dark Station's DCI. I'm your host, Jonathan Miley. Recently, Brian and I got to sit down and talk to Carrie Roper, who is currently waging his Kickstarter war for his new game, Tooth and Cog, which is a uh, 4X strategy game in the vein of, well, other 4X strategy games, but this one with a steampunk twist and an emphasis on multiplayer. We talk about a lot of different things on this podcast. Uh, we actually get a really good look at some of the hardships that you can face in doing something like a Kickstarter. Uh, so we get some really great insight from Carrie on that. We also get to find out a lot about this really interesting strategy game. Uh, so we hope you enjoy this episode. If you want to find out more about Dark Station, you can do that at DarkStation.com. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at DarkStation underscore com. If you want to subscribe to us on iTunes, you can do that. We're the Darkcast. While you're there, give us a review. Let us know what you think of the show. Finally, you can send us an email at podcast at darkstation.com. Um, there you can let us know what you want us to talk about. You can give us show ideas. You can give us people that you'd like us to do interviews with. You can ask us questions. Whatever you want to do, that's what the email's there for. Uh, if you want to find out more about Tooth and & Cog and Carrie's company, Riveting Games, well, you can find all those links in the show notes of this page. Thanks again for listening. On with the show. Well, uh, welcome to the Darkcast, Carrie. Uh, thank you for being on. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. Just got in from work a little bit ago and, and just ate some dinner, so ready to go. All right, sounds good. And Brian, how are you doing? I'm hanging in there, man. It's I'm in Florida. It's Thursday. It's hot. We're, you know, <laughs> we're rocking and rolling on all cylinders here. <laughs> All right. Well, Sounds Carrie, um, if you could, if we could start off, just uh, you know, tell us who you are, uh, what you do, that that sort of thing. Okay. Uh, so I'm Carrie Roper, and uh, you know, I, I've been doing game design since as long as I can remember. Uh, so it's it's always been more of a hobby thing. And then Tooth and Cog is our first uh, actual commercial venture uh, under the umbrella of uh, Riveting Games, which I started about a year ago with two co-founders, uh, okay. Sam and Nathan. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a brief, uh, you know, summary. And then uh, as far as details, uh, um, like I, I started programming when I was 13 and, you know, got really into game design in high school. And then um, went to school for computer science and then when it, you know, moved away from the game industry a little bit, uh, I was working for Amazon, which is why I'm located in Seattle now. Okay. And uh, and then, you know, about a year ago, like I said, I I, uh, I started up a, a game company. You know, I just just wanted to get back to my roots of what got me passionate about uh, software development in the first place. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's basically it. Very cool. Now, uh, we're going to immediately take a, uh, a tangent right now, and you, you got to tell me about what it was like working at Amazon, because Amazon is like my favorite place in the world. 
I subscribe to deodorant. Like, I don't even have to leave the house <laughs> to get that kind of stuff. All because of yeah. Amazon. And what what was it like working there? What kind of stuff did you do at, at Amazon? Oh, Amazon. Let, let him down, Jerry. Let him down, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I can say that, that um, one, one good thing about Amazon that I really appreciated was was their their customer focus you know this is a company from top to bottom everybody at that company it's sort of a requirement that you do care about the customer and that's not just like that's not just their marketing department and pushing that image out that's that's actually the reality so um you know and then working there as a software developer is a bit more of a mixed bag uh it's a great place to learn a lot if you're fresh out of school. Um, it can be a little bit of a pressure cooker environment. Uh, you know, you've, you've actually got a pager as an engineer that wakes you up at night if the website's down or whatever. So, so oh, it's wow. it's it's uh, it's not not the most forgiving place to work, and definitely not for everyone. But you, if you go in there as a software engineer, you're gonna learn a lot, and you know, I don't think overall you'll regret it. How many times did that pager go off? Oh, it, it varied uh, depending on which which team I was on. You know, um, I was there for six years, so you know you, you kind of move around a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, um, still to this day, if I if I hear that those notes of that pager, that beep beep beep, you know that that just triggers like nightmares. You know, so. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, what kind of stuff did you do while you were? You said you're a software uh, engineer, programmer. Uh, what? I mean, obviously, you know, Amazon is a website, so there's it's all software pretty much. But what kind of stuff does that include? Um, so it's a variety. Uh, so there's there's uh, front end web development, HTML, P, uh, sorry, Perl, and uh, then you know distributed systems on the back end that are usually written in um, Java these days. So. You, you kind of do a little bit of everything. Uh, Amazon's culture sort of reinforces a, a jack-of-all-trades uh, kind of software engineer, so you, you're not really um, like you would at some other company shoehorned into just, just a single role or a single area of expertise. Okay. Very cool. Uh, now, you said video games prior to, uh, to Amazon were you know, more hobby or, or actually, prior to now, prior to riveting games, uh, or more right. of a hobby. What uh, did you make anything as a as a hobby, or did you just kind of to piddle, or did you? Yeah, uh, yeah. So, uh, so actually, <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, you know, I I, uh, I started a fan website for uh, for Civilization and some other game. Okay. I was playing at the at the time, and I, my brother had had done a, a you know a little tiny mod for Civ Two, and so I, I hosted that. I learned with the sort of web website of things and that experience, mm-hmm. and then um, you know about when I was uh, fourteen, got into high school, and um, I don't know what it's like at your school, but at my school, everybody had the TI eighty three graphing calculator, um, so I got into game development. And that on that platform, and um, I would basically like, you know, I, I took uh, the uh, non-honors history class, and that was basically like my break from from you know the high pressure of my my more demanding classes. And as a result, I would just sit in the back of the room and, and write code all class. So <laughs> uh, you know that that was how how I passed the time <laughs> in high school, and then eventually. 
actually. I, I, I moved on to uh, learning, you know, I, I ran into the memory capacity limits of the TI-83 were preventing me from building the game I wanted to make. And this game was titled uh, The Shadow of Narcomen. It's basically a, uh, an RPG, you know, kind of old, old style RPG. Um, and, and so I, I was running into these limits and as a result I learned uh, Z80 assembly language, which, which you, unfortunately you have to really write that on a computer. So I couldn't, I could not no longer code in class, but you know, I'd go home and hack for a few hours at night instead of doing my homework. <laughs> of course, <laughs> absolutely. So, absolutely. So yeah, uh, if, if you like if a, you want to like learn more, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you want to learn more about that, you could just search for uh, Narcomen. It's spelled N-A-R. K-E-M-E-N, and you should be able to find an animated GIF of, you know, the some of the gameplay. It's kind of amusing looking back at it. <laughs> That's All right. awesome. Well, awesome. Yeah, very cool. Um, now, you said you uh, you went to school for, for game design. Uh, where did you go? What, what kind of degree did you get? What kind of stuff was involved in all, all of that? Mm-hmm. So actually, actually, it was not uh, game design specifically. Okay. I didn't go to go to full sale or any uh, or DigiPen or anything like that. Okay. Um, so I, I got a, a general uh, bachelor's of science in computer science at University of Illinois. Gotcha. Um, and uh, you know, during that time frame, I did you know I did make sure to take a few of the electives that were focused around game design. Very, very cool. Um, <clears throat> now, that kind of, I guess, brings us to the present. You said that you started um, Riveting Games about a year ago with two founders. Um, you're, you're located in Seattle still, correctly? Are, are all of you located there, or are you kind of spread out? No, no we're, 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 uh, we're distributed. Actually, okay. the, the, com- the company is actually uh, an Ohio LLC uh, where my two co-founders are. Um so they and actually one of those two co-founders goes back and forth between Ohio and North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So um, we've learned to make it work. You know, I've I've flown back a couple times and I flew them out here and you know they they were all crashing in my my tiny one bedroom apartment for for a couple months, which is uh, <laughs> an interesting situation yeah, to yeah. say the least. Wow. Uh, <laughs> that's that's dedication right there. Uh, actually, yeah. me and my me and my coworker the other day we were talking about um, just you know indie developers in general, and he was saying something about that he he can't stand it when people call uh, Mojang an indie studio uh, because mm-hmm. like if you're an indie studio, then you know you've got to be making a game in like somebody's basement and all crashing in like one room, and so yeah that there you go. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's just part of the culture. <laughs> uh, so, uh, besides you and the two co-founders, how many people do you have on your on your team? Uh, so, um, other than them, we've we've worked with a sort of a a cast of uh, you know contractor here and there. Uh, we we had a very very fortunate find of uh, Anthony's art. So, big shout out to him. Uh, he's our, our concept artist and. Uh, you know he's he's done phenomenal work. If you look at the uh, the uh, Kickstarter website, um, it showcases some of his work. And, and you know Nathan Nathan's all freaking out. He's he's got a you know 
bring up the uh, the end game assets to the same same quality and and uh, you know it, you know initially I, I just had them um, had uh, the quality bar of something that looks you know reasonable within the game that we can move around you know and so so he was targeting that so um, but you know part of the reason we're on Kickstarter is to uh, you know merge those two two quality levels so there's not a disparity. Okay. okay. Is there is there like a like I said like you've got the kind of the drawn pictures on there? Is there uh, mm-hmm. do, you, do you guys have like a, like an idea? Do you have the, the the kind of set of what you what you want it to go to? What kind of the concept is that you're aiming for? Um, like you know like maybe one screen that like this is what it's going to look like when it's done, um, or is it just a, is it just kind of that work in yeah. progress? So um, we don't have any sort of, uh, I, I would categorize that more as technical concept art, basically mm-hmm. um, a drawing of what the game would look like. We, we don't have that right now. Uh, doesn't mean we can't do it. It just hasn't been a priority. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, every, you know, everybody's got their own, uh, mm-hmm. the, the way they work. Um, now, watch the video. I see, I, I got balloons, and I've got steam, <laughs> and an old city blowing up. Where where do we get tooth and cog? <laughs> uh, tooth and cog. Uh, so tooth and cog is because you're you're. Uh, so I don't know if you picked up on the pun or not. This was this was Sam's doing, but uh, um, to fight tooth and claw. So basically, you're you're fighting back tooth and cog in this uh, steampunk the, the universe. The moment you started talking about it, <laughs> the first thing I thought was, oh, hold on a second. That's okay. <laughs> Absolutely, just picked up on that. <laughs> <laughs> so so what's what's going on um we know it's a we know it's a 4x game so obviously especially mm-hmm. you know given the fact that you opened a you had your own kind of sif and site we know where your heart's at what's right. what's the rundown with tooth and cog where where's it going uh tooth and cog is uh, is a primarily multiplayer focused at uh, the forty thousand dollar goal, at least, uh, doesn't mean we won't consider single player as a stretch goal. But uh, we found that the Civ games, and to be fair, I've not uh, given uh, Civ Five Brave New World uh, a run in multiplayer, so I, I can't speak to that. Um, but uh, we, we just found that it was uh, sorely lacking. Um, you, we, you know, it's a phenomenal single player game, and you know. We really respect the game designers there, and uh, but uh, you know there's there's lots of problems with it that just fall out from the uh, the background of the game design that um, are difficult to reconcile with multiplayer gameplay. So we take a step back and we reevaluate the the four X experience and say how can we uh, how can we reconcile this with a compelling multiplayer experience you know what what can we learn from what real-time strategies have done so well in making a good multiplayer experience and how can we apply those learnings to the turn-based world um and if you look at at our kickstarter page i've i've got a write-up of exactly how we do that now one thing that immediately struck me when you know talking about the multiplayer experience um especially in a in kind of a turn-based world is this idea you guys put up of the simultaneous actions. Um, can you yes. talk a little bit about that? 
Yes, absolutely. It, um, you know, I was hoping you'd lead us there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, but, to me, like having played, it's but like I can't say that I've 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 done a lot in the four X as far as multiplayer's gone. I think, mm-hmm. um, especially turn based wise, I think that the the thing that's come kind of closest to me has been kind of almost a uh, XCOM. Um, yeah. especially the new one where they've got kind of just a one-on-one, but everybody gets, you know, you get a set turn. So this idea yeah. of everybody going at the same time in the same turn is yes. both weird and frightening. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I, 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 um, but so far, the the, uh, the feedback has been, been very positive. Uh, you know, so uh, there's, there's actually a game, a uh, board game, from the 50s called Diplomacy, where they, they basically uh, either pioneered or popularized this concept of a simultaneous turn. I don't, I don't know which. Um, but, uh, you know, if, if I talk to anybody who's ever played that game, they're like, oh, this is fantastic. I'm, I'm glad we're finally seeing this in the world of uh, PC games. And... Um, then there's there's the other crew which is more like used to this uh, this idea that you're you're a, you're a deity with absolute control over your units and and those people will you know be uncomfortable at first and you know maybe maybe they won't like our game and uh, frankly I'm okay with that the game is not for everybody but the people who have an open mind uh, and take a step back and really understand that. Um, you know, you're issuing orders as either a, a general or a political uh, leader, and those those orders have a certain uncertainty associated with them. If people can accept that, you know, I, I think they're going to have a great time. Um, what? Well, by, I'm going to interrupt you real quick. By uncertainty, what are you what are you going for there? Uh, is it like uh, is there like randomness involved? Or are you guys just not doing exactly what you set them down, or are the orders that you're giving more broad rather than do exactly this? Okay, so so the orders are still fairly, uh, uh, you know, do do exactly this, you know. Except the caveat here is, unless you get uh, interrupted. Um, so basically, because we we take all the orders from all the players at the same time, and then we evaluate those orders at uh, at a single time in, in the future, then uh, then there there is this uncertainty where you know you could be trying to go build a, a, a road or something to somewhere, and then, then you get attacked. And okay, so the uncertainty see. comes from somebody else actually interrupting your action. Correct, correct. Kind of, I guess. Okay. Yes. Okay, so run me, if you could, run me through, because I'm still, like, when you say simultaneous turn, I immediately think, well, if everything's happening at the same time, where does the turn breakdown come in? Okay, uh, so I mean, we've, we've developed uh, you know some some algorithms that uh, might be a little bit difficult to <laughs> simplify for a, a podcast audience. Uh, I oh, can, absolutely, I can, I can, <laughs> as simple I can, as you can get. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'll, I'll try and I'll try and break it down though as as best I can, and you know maybe if it's a good topic for. A, for another write-up, uh, but basically the way it works is everybody inputs their orders, right? We're, that's that's pretty easy, right? I think people can understand that. Mm-hmm. And then, then basically, um, you take all the units, and then every every unit does one 
step towards that action. Okay, so if, if they're moving, they might take a step in a particular direction, and how the rate at which they do these steps will um, vary according to their movement speed, for example. And um, so you basically, you know, you round robin all, over all the units, and you're like, is this unit ready to perform a step towards uh, completing his orders or not? You know, and if, if it's the case, go ahead and do it. If it's not the case, move on to the next unit. And so that's that's basically how it operates. Um, is okay. that, was that clear enough? Yeah, in fact, while you were talking about that, I kind of, uh, I, the, uh, when you were talking about everybody kind of giving the orders and then everything kind of acting out in that turn, um, and I'm going to go real geeky here. Um, the first thing I thought of was kind of old school um, Dungeons and Dragons, where you would determine okay. um, where things were going and what was going on. You kind of go, okay, this is my action, and then the dungeon master hits the play button and everything happens. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, okay. That's definitely where where we're going with that. Good. Okay, that makes a lot more sense now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, before it sounded all willy nilly, and I was like, "Oh, man, this I don't our turns and uh, you, where are we going?" But now, now, now I'm kind of straight and narrow here. I, I got you. I no, no, there, there's there's some uh, some method to the madness. Uh, it's it's not like uh, you know I I, I just uh, I just look at the the turns you know as a uh, as a person, and then, and then I'm like, Haha, I don't like this guy, so he's gonna he's gonna go over and do this instead. So so you're not you're not sitting at a master computer screen watching everybody go, just going, you're dead and you're dead and you can live. Although that that sounds like a, a pretty great thing, uh, at least for the that person doing that. That's, that's extremely uh, dark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> I'm not that twisted or uh, much of a megalomaniac, so <laughs> that, that could be fun, I suppose. Yeah, you know, it's, it adds some bonus intrigue. It's, you know, just have like a god weekend. <laughs> yes. uh, maybe that could be one of your uh, Kickstarter uh, rewards. <laughs> you give so much money and you just get to decide who lives and dies on each multiplayer map yeah. for a week. Uh, I, I was just I was just thinking that as you were saying it. <laughs> um, so one question that I've got, you know, since this is primarily or at least as of right now, it's you know it's only multiplayer. Um, how are how are matches going to work? Are people going to be able to basically pause a match and leave it alone and then come back to things just they as they are, say the next day or something like that? Or mm-hmm. um. We don't have all the answers there okay, yet, as sure. far as what what the players want. We've we've prototyped a couple different experiences. Uh, one is just the the timer based experience you see in the video, where um, you have a, a timer that's agreed upon before you enter the game, and mm-hmm. the the idea is uh, the game's a little less grand than say a, a civilization bout, uh, so you. Would, you would play it in a single sitting, and then we've we've also experimented with uh, something closer to a play by email st- style as well. Okay, gotcha. I was actually I was I was going to bring up the whole play by email thing as a joke, but the fact that you mentioned that that's kind of cool that you're going that way. <laughs> <laughs> that's for some reason yeah, it's, mean, that's like, always uh, something that comes up, and it's never something that I've had. Yeah, it's never something I've had any experience with, like, ever. I've always just heard it and, and thought, 
people actually played by email, but apparently that's that's a real big thing, especially with uh-huh. these kinds of games. So that's you know good on right, you. Right, right. <laughs> for the for the person. Uh, I mean, there's there's definitely different different personalities of players, and and you know we we have have to be careful as an indie who we try try to appeal to we can't make everybody happy but we want to make as many people happy as possible and you know we just have to balance which which features make that happen oh absolutely and that's and that's one thing that i think is really is really almost key to indies especially when you're kind of looking these triple a's in the face that 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 do everything they can to appeal to as many people as possible you know, making the gray as, the game as gray and as brown, uh, to be able to have just a, a purity of vision to make the game that you want to make, knowing that it's not for everybody, is something that's uh, it's almost getting lost. And, and this this kind of right. revival that's happened over the last two years, is, or even longer than that, is really kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, it's it's absolutely fantastic because you you no longer need to have a, a million plus seller to uh, be a viable company, and you know that that just unleashes all this artistic and uh, creative freedom. So I, I love seeing this. I love seeing what other indies are doing, and you know just just following the whole scene is is has been fascinating and wonderful. What are you guys using for an engine for for Tooth and Cog? Uh, we're oh, using Unity. Oh, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's been great uh, so far. It's it's got a fair number of quirks, but nothing we haven't been able to work around. So um, I really don't have anything uh, negative to say about it, to be honest. Yeah, honestly, we've <clears throat> uh, probably ninety percent of the people that we have talked to have, are using Unity, um, mm-hmm. and a couple of weeks ago, I talked to somebody that's using. Um, the Unreal Engine, and you know, it's, it's a mobile game, and I, I just had to think. I was like, "Well, why? Everyone else is using Unity, <laughs> <laughs> right? Right? It's like, well, why? Why are you doing this?" <laughs> I, th- I think I actually listened to that one. That was another steampunk esque game, right? Uh, uh yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, um, uh, it's actually uh, also another Kickstarter that's currently um, going on right now. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I, I kind of kind of wonder too. I, I think the learning curve for uh, Unreal is a little steeper, and you know, someone who's obviously coming, you know, had a significant break from game development, coming back, and Unity was just just pretty much the way to go for us. Sure, sure. Um, now with uh, with using Unity and then continually increasing the number of platforms that you can can play it on. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. I mean, you guys are you know pretty early on there's there's mm-hmm. do you have any hopes or dreams of maybe bringing this to other devices uh mobile devices or consoles or anything like that yeah a- a- absolutely um you know that's that's something we'd love to do uh we'd have to really uh evaluate the market uh for any given device because uh right now for a forex game uh PC's king. Um, it's it's not the type of game you play when you've you got two minutes of free time standing in, in the checkout line. Um, so I, I could. Ha, ha, <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. There, there we go. <laughs> but but uh, uh, you know I I'm not I'm not the the best uh, uh, UX uh, user experience 
interface designer and um, that's something uh, ideally our Kickstarter money could go into um, so uh, it would be a struggle for me to get it uh, scaled down to a phone size and playable um, sure. a tablet is, is more within the realm of possibility uh, it's you know there's obviously no no real advantage to one method of input versus another uh, for this type of game. Mm -hmm. uh, reaction time doesn't matter. So as long as you can complete your your orders issuance by the time that's needed, uh, you're uh, on the same playing field. Um, gotcha. So you you can have have cross device uh, multiplayer no problem. Um, We've also looked into, uh, you know, I've I've actually got uh, an Ouya, mm -hmm. so you know that's that's uh, another device. Uh, you know, again, input is a, a bit of a constraint there. Working with a, a controller for a strategy game, mm -hmm. um, you know, is it going to be playable or not? So we we'd have to play with it a bit, and uh, it's not, uh, frankly, not a priority right now. And sure, sure, we, we've. Also, um, we've also been uh, basically, uh, you know, we're we're on track for the the Wii U developer program. Um, oh, cool! But uh, again, you know, uh, their sales numbers are are not the best. Uh, sure. And, yeah. And uh, we have to really ask ourselves: is is that uh, is really a strategy gamer on that platform, and are they really going to prefer playing on that as opposed to a PC? So, you know, we, we need to evaluate each each platform individually. Sure. So, so you know, PC first, everything else, maybe at some point if it seems like it's a good idea. <laughs> right, right. If it's something players want, you know, I, I could... Especially the tablets, you know, I, I could see this. You're, you're going on a vacation, and you don't want to lug around a laptop. You just want to bring your tablet, your iPad, or whatever. So I, that's that's probably the, the next one, if, if any. All right, cool. Uh, now, one thing, uh, just to kind of backtrack a second, you said something about, um, you know, as long as you can input your... In, or you can do all of your inputs and move all of your characters around in the... Um, like before the the round is over, how how is that going to work? Is it basically whatever the last person to finish uh, making their moves, or do you have a, a set time limit to mm -hmm. to each turn, or how how does that work? Right. So current current mechanism is a turn timer. Uh, okay. I've heard uh, heard approaches for alternative mechanisms as well, like a voting system and stuff like that. So we'll research uh, alternatives as well. Um, but that that turn timer is a, a uh, basically a cap, and the the turn can be resolved earlier if everybody gets their orders in earlier. So um, it's basically just uh, you know to prevent the slowest player from slowing down the pace of the game. Sure. Sure. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I imagine, especially at the beginning of, of games like that, that that's something where the, those beginning moves, you know, you get through them pretty quick, and then as everything comes together and, and, and fights start occurring, that's when you start using all of that time. Um, actually, here's here's a that's that's a huge flaw of civilization, but uh, we've I think eliminated it with our game design. Um, the reason is is uh, the that in early games like Civilization, um, you you tend to have one or two units, right? So you don't have have much to do. Um, so uh, 
what we do is, and then then you, you build up over time, and you got these massive armies. You you got to coordinate and this and that, and then maybe maybe you're on the losing end of a battle, and then you've you've only got two units again, and you're you're busy waiting for everybody else to move fifty units, right? Mm-hmm. And so that, that's that's not a great experience uh, for anybody. We want to keep the turn time more or less uh, constant, regardless of where you're at at game in terms of gameplay and uh, how well you're actually doing in, huh. in this competition. And uh, the way we do that is we took a step back from what is a unit. Um, so a unit is uh, much more up to you as a player to define. Uh, it's no longer a unit is this this thing that takes three turns to build and, you know, has a certain health bar and never changes. No, it's... it's uh, it's they can be arbitrarily split and merged. So, if you if for example you have uh, two ground units that uh, you know you think would be compatible and uh, go well together in combat, you, you just merge those to be be a single unit, and uh, that basically eliminates that that scaling factor from the game. Hmm. So it really is taking the uh, kind of the the RTS approach to that as far as. Um, not that you you have your individual things, but they're easily they're easily grouped. Right, right. So so in an RTS, you got hotkeys, and and they're represented on the map as like you know you'll see that it's it, that is ten units instead of one unit. Um, so we, we we just have a, a single logical unit, that even though it's it's bigger, um, you know, because uh, you're you're operating on a a tile basis, not a. Uh, um, unit takes up this much space basis that you would in an RTS. So some some minor differences, but basically the, the same idea. And you guys have a is there you know going from that spot? Obviously, since you guys are using you know uh, I got I guess it's hexes, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. Since you guys are going off hexes, is there do you have like a max number per hex, or, or uh, you know is that supposed to represent like a real? A real space, or is that kind of variable depending upon what you have in it? I'm sorry, sense? the uh, yeah. audio cut out a little bit. Oh, uh, uh, is could that, you repeat, please? Is that hex not? Is that representing like a, a very real space with like a cap of people that can go in it, or is that variable depending upon like what your group is? Is that like an absolute like this hex is this size on this map, and that's what that is? You know, it only fits this much stuff. Right. Um, so we we played around with that a little bit, uh, not not for units, but for buildings uh, improvements that you might put on a tile. Um, I'm not sure it really adds a ton to the game to to put those restrictions in, uh, just from from play testing. Uh, you know, it's it's you know, is does it really add to the fun of the game to to put those restrictions in? It, it adds to realism, possibly. You could argue one way or another, depending on what your scale is, but uh, I, I I just got the, the feeling that it, it wasn't really adding, adding a ton. Completely understandable. I just see yeah, it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Alright, so kind of jumping forward into uh, um, you guys, you know, you are on Kickstarter. Um, yes. What's, what's the process getting on there has been like? Um, it looks like you've been on... Uh, uh, at least probably like 10 15 days um how how do you is is it kind of hold on hey, what's it yeah, been like number one? Let's, let's just go yeah like just getting on there first 
how was your experience? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we, we don't come from a background uh, of somebody who's, like, going to run the best Kickstarter campaign ever. Uh, we, we've basically got me. I'm, I'm a, you know, a software engineer who's, uh, you know, wears different different hats, business, and so forth, and then also, uh, you know, a top hat when I'm out with the Seattle Steam Rats. Uh, so... <laughs> um, then, uh, you know, I, I don't have a marketing background and that sort of thing. So, you know, but I, I've got pretty good, you know, set of analytical tools, uh, you know, at my disposal, um, you know, that, that cut across, you know, analyzing markets or businesses or whatever. Um, so we, we did a, a basically a full month of research beforehand, and uh, we got some questions right as far as what to ask going into a campaign. We got some questions probably wrong. Um, and w one of the, the key things uh, that we looked at was basically, um, so w once you hit the six-figure mark as far as what you're looking for from a campaign, uh, as far as uh, pledges go, you need a big name behind you uh, and you need prior titles uh, this sort of thing you know you can look at double fine for a great example of that um, uh, in the the 10,000 10, to 80,000 range we saw that that was no longer strictly a requirement mm -hmm. um, but uh, you could come in as a, a slightly unknown uh, team and still be successful which which was was comforting you know but but I think the the one of the key advantages that indie teams can have is to build up a community before going into Kickstarter mm -hmm. and even if it's just a, a few hundred people you know that's that can be the difference between success and failure and uh, we were just a little bit too early in the game development process and uh, you know marketing and that sort of thing to to have that that uh, core community of fans to fall back on um, right exactly so you know we, we got good friends and family support uh, providing an initial surge and then um, from then on it's it's been sort of like um, me running around a uh, you know, and and trying to figure out what we can do better as far as getting getting the message out there. And you know, I really appreciate you guys for for offering this interview because it's extremely helpful in that respect. Uh, you know, so I you know I hope your your fans enjoy it. And uh, yeah, as far as Kickstarter goes, if you know, I'll probably do some blog write up or something in the future about you know a post mortem what we did right, what we did wrong and what other indies can learn from our experience. Cool. Oh, looking ahead, all right. Um, what, <laughs> what, for, for, for those who do back, um, you know, if, if you get through this thing, um, what, what can they expect, and what, what can they expect their, uh, uh, you know, that money to go to? What, what, is, is it just living expenses? Is it, is it paying for certain mm -hmm. things to be added into the game? Where's, where's it all going? Okay, so... Um, so first of all, uh, you, we've we've got a forty thousand dollar target, and uh, we actually only end up with about half of that. Um, you know, a fair chunk goes to uh, uh, you know you got 
10%, that's sort of the number that goes to Kickstarter, Amazon, and uh, pledges that, uh, you know, the credit card gets declined or whatever. <laughs> so so you you got to factor that in. And then you've got uh, income tax, right? Um, Kickstarter is, is taxable. And then uh, depending on state, I, I haven't looked into what our obligations are. You'll have a sales tax as well. Um, and then we've got, you know, other legal compliance overhead. And so all these all these factors come into play. And at the end of the day, we, we end up with, you know, roughly half what, what we actually ask for uh, that comes into the studio. Um, so what that money is going for is... Um, basically buying time uh so you know i, I worked at amazon for for six years so uh I, i've got savings you know and a portion of that savings is reinvested in that company but i, I wasn't able to offer my two co-founders a uh, salary instead i offered them a substantial equity cut um and that arrangement has uh, become fundamentally unfair to them so i, I just need to make right by them and uh, take care of their really basic needs uh, for the next year. Right on, right. man. Thank, yeah. you, uh, thank you for the honesty there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what, okay. So if, obviously you're, you're talking post-mortem, um, you know, mm-hmm. you, you know there were things you did good, there were things you did bad. What's, What's the future hold? What does the future look like um, for for Tooth and Cog? Should this initial Kickstarter fail? Should this initial kind of kind of Kickstarter phase fail? Uh-huh. Um, yeah, obviously, yeah. you know oh. you've got you've got some people that are definitely looking forward to this game um, that sure. want to get it out there. Where sure. you know your dream is not going to stop here. What's your next? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, well, actually, uh, actually, the to be to be brutally honest, the. Whether the dream stops or continues depends on on uh, an analysis of of the uh, the results of the Kickstarter. So, um, you know, it, it's a multiplayer game, so it's not going to be fun unless you've got people to play against. And uh, if it were a single player game, I could release it to a hundred fans, and great, they they have a blast. But you can't do that with multiplayer. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we need to look at you know. Um, so far, the numbers have been uh, have been looking good in this area as far as like the number of people who view our video and then go on to pledge. You know, people people seem to get it, and our, our core problem is just lack of eyeballs. You know, um, based on conversion rates for a forty thousand dollar goal for a video game. Um, so running running the numbers, you can expect roughly an average pledge of forty dollars. Um, it's it's mostly in the low ends. People just want the game, and then you get a few of these uh, what are called whales in the industry as uh, of uh, free to play at least, where these are your big spenders, and, and they'll, they'll drop all kinds of money on you. And but that's a that's a very small percentage of the audience. Um, but it works out to about forty dollars per pledge, mm-hmm. and then you have to look at you know what's that conversion rate of people viewing the video and then going on to pledge and. You know, I don't want to reveal that number quite yet. Uh, you know, I'll probably do no, it in the cool. postmortem. Yeah. Sure. Um, but we're we're in um, the upper end of my expectation, frankly. And uh, you know, for for a game, I would say uh, forty thousand dollars average pledge of uh, forty dollars. You you require somewhere between 
10 and 100,000 eyeballs actually viewing your video. Mm-hmm. Pairs, of eyeballs, pairs of eyeballs, I guess. <laughs> sure, um, yeah, hopefully it's not just singular eyeballs. <laughs> yes. That's okay. If, you don't, you're not, you know, if you've only got one eyeball, this game could still be for you. Yes, yes. It doesn't doesn't require any depth perception, you know. Right. So, so we're we're not discriminating against those folks. Yeah. <laughs> Come play our you game. Don't, you don't have to tell how far the balloon is off the ground. You just got to know it's there. We're... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So so that's that's a pretty quick rundown of the numbers. And uh, does that answer your question, or did you have any follow ups to that? Oh no, man. That's you're you're great. Yeah. We and we exactly. You know, we're here to get the information out there. We're here to. To, to you know, learn learn this stuff, kind of share this stuff, and out there. So, a hundred percent transparency is definitely not needed at this moment. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks. Um, so, uh, in the in the Kickstarter video, you've got kind of the the story of the old city that's kind of imploded. Uh, are you using that uh, mostly just for the the backdrop of the multiplayer matches, or is there a a greater story? Uh, that will kind of play out in multiplayer matches or or something like that. Uh, so so uh, for multiplayer, um, I'm of the opinion that leave it up to the players to define the story. Uh, Sam sure. and I disagree with on this a little bit. So we've we've got internal conflict on the team on that. He wants he wants a little bit more of a uh, uh, sort of uh, you know artistic or curated kind of vision, whereas I'm just more. Set, set a backdrop, cool, cool environment, and then leave it up to the player to define how, how they play. So, you know, um, but that said, I think if, if we do get funded on single player, I'll, I'll be a little bit more hands-off on, on Sam, let him do some, some, <laughs> some writing. Uh, so know, so there's, there's a chance we'll find out what made the, the, uh, the old city blow up. Right, right, exactly. Okay. And uh, right, right now it's just basically it's a... Uh, backdrop for uh warring factions with a lot of finger pointing going on and so that's that's why you're sort of uh sort of in the situation as a player yeah because for me i mean i i personally like to play mostly single player games and so in your description you know you get to this thing is you know leaves one question uh in the mind of every survivor what the hell happened and who's to blame and i'm like okay yes. let, let's figure out what happened and who's to blame <laughs> and then i keep reading and it's like and that, that's it. There's no more story. What, but yeah. who's to blame? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll You're leave it up to the players to. Uh, yeah, you know, the, the victors of war are the ones who who write the history. You know, so, sure. <laughs> so whoever loses, it's, it's always the, the one to blame. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> he did it. He did. It. He made it explode. <laughs> Yeah, so so that's my fault. You can yell at me for that, and uh, go, go talk to uh, come talk to Sam and, and beg him for for a cool story. <laughs> we'll do. Uh, I'll I'll drive out to uh, to Oklahoma tomorrow. Um. <laughs> Ohio, he's in Ohio, Ohio right? Sorry. Yeah, if I drive out to uh, Oklahoma, I'm not going to find anybody. So yeah, Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'd like to I'd like to kind of end interviews um, going a little bit. Uh, James Lipton, a little bit inside the actor's studio. Um, he's got uh-huh. the Prowse questionnaire, uh, and so okay. I'm, I'm still kind of working on a name for it. Currently, it's the lightning round, but it really doesn't go that fast, um, so <laughs> it's kind of a misnomer. Uh, but at the moment, we'll just call it the Brian questionnaire, and it's uh okay. it's five or six questions. It just kind of it's more about you, more about um, video games and kind of what you like in them. And so uh, mm-hmm. here we go. You know, do your best. It's not. Should be that hard, I don't think. 
from Metroid because uh, she kind of breaks a lot of the uh, molds that uh, you know females are, are portrayed in, in video games so so I think that's really cool uh, and yeah go with that you know right. there's nothing wrong with Samus Aaron um, <laughs> go in the opposite direction who is your favorite antagonist Genghis um, Khan is an allowable answer from Sid so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll take. It. <laughs> you know, I, why does why does he always why is he always the one who drops nukes on me? I always want to know that. But... <laughs> Where do you get all this technology? What's happening here? <laughs> but uh, I'm gonna go uh, Kefka from Final Fantasy VI, and uh, if, yes. if if yes. you notice from my answers, uh, um, actually, uh, actually, these these characters. Um, don't have a whole lot of, uh, you know, depth to them, and I, I think that's that's okay. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, American games, uh, modern ones at least, uh, you know, try to try to be try to be more nuanced. Like you've you've got your your Max Payne and stuff, and th and that's great. Uh, you know, that you can you can develop a really interesting story, I think, and and make it add a little more realism to it and that sort of thing. Um, but that's you know there's there's times when just as a player I'm looking to escape from the world and I want a little simplicity. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think both are both are equally valid uh, approaches to the art form. Yeah, honestly, I, and I know this is gonna totally screw up the flow of the the lightning round. I'm sorry, Brian, but uh, <laughs> that's that's something that I've I've been kind of wanting in a lot of games lately. Uh, to is just something a little bit more simple, something that doesn't take itself quite so seriously. I'm kind of getting tired of the dark and gritty, like just you know, supposedly emotional tale uh, that's still okay. completely absurd. You are uh, not you're <laughs> not pulled in every single time by the lone emotional white dude no. who's had a tragic <laughs> past no, that I'm... needs to rescue a girl that this doesn't speak to you all the time. No, sadly, it doesn't. <sighs> Uh, I mean, honestly, the other day I was looking at getting Dead to Rights, um, Retribution, the 360 PS3 yeah, game, yeah, with the dog, that a lot of people said it was just really dumb, and I'm like, you know what, I kind of really want something <laughs> dumb right now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, it's like, I'm stressed out from work, I just want to relax, you know, something, yeah. something like that. Depends on your mood, you know, yep. totally. Yep. I feel you. <laughs> Alright, what is, next question. Let's get back. Let's get back on track here. Sorry what? Okay, sorry. <laughs> Jonathan. That's a lightning round. <laughs> that's that's why I've got to lose that name. It is not indicative of what happens here at all. <laughs> <laughs> what is what is your least favorite video game trope? And by trope, I mean you know other people get answers like amnesia. Um, you've got your you know what you had mentioned before, uh, the kind of princess in peril. Um, or rather, the one I like best, yeah, the uh, girlfriend I, in the refrigerator. <laughs> um, let's see. I, I mean, it's hard to say. There, there, there's so many things that are, you know, fun if you don't take them too seriously. So I, I can't think of one honestly. Uh, um, uh, okay, what's okay. Up? I got one what's... right now. It's, uh, it's, it's the. Uh, uh, the, the, I'm not. I'm not digging a hole. Uh, 
pixel art thing re resurgence right now. Um, just just okay. my thing. I know a lot of people will disagree vehemently with me. Uh, you know, I think I think retro games are cool, but you know, as far as just just uh, pushing the pixel art on us, I, I don't know. Tone it down, maybe. Non retro, non retro, retro, where you know it's not. Yeah. So so stuff like. Yeah. So stuff like. Castle Crashers, for example, I think pulls it off. You know, they take a vector art approach to it, so it's a bit, a bit more of a modern take on, on some, some retro game mechanics. I think that's refreshing. Yeah, sure. So while we're waiting on Tooth and Cog, if yes. we had to play one 4X game, what 4X game would that be? I've taken a bit of a breather from 4X games. Just uh, it doesn't have to be a modern one. It's just yeah. What, what you <laughs> we'll, we'll change it. We'll, we'll leave the 4 we'll, we'll drop the 4X. We'll make it a little bit easier. Um, when you relax, what is uh -huh. the game you go for? Um, so I, I've been playing uh, the the new XCOM. You know, because that's that's uh, you know. Distinct enough from 4X that I don't I don't worry about it polluting my views too much, uh, but it still you know allows me to focus on some elements of gameplay that that I enjoy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. If you could try if you could try anything else, any other profession, what would you like to attempt? Hmm. Doesn't necessarily have to. Be Something you're good at, just something. You know, if you ever wanted to try this, what would you want to do? Yeah, yeah. So I think I think after this, if if I ever end up like actually uh, making money from this venture, uh, <laughs> um, I'd like to go into a little bit more of a, sort of like the the convergence of uh, philanthropy and uh, business. You know, giving uh, people who uh, you know. Don't have the the social networks available to them, uh, you know, access to the same resources that uh, people from more fortunate circumstances have, and uh, you know we see a lot of stuff with uh, microfinance these days, and I think that's great, uh, but I'm I'm not sure if like a, a broader uh, approach to the, the picture would be more, more warranted. I haven't really looked into it though, so but that's just a thought. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Absolutely awesome. All right. Now, at the end of his, he normally likes to throw out the whole pearly gates question. Well, I, I, I don't want that. Um, when you come to the gates of the mushroom kingdom, uh -huh. and Toad's got the book of your life, what, okay. what do you want him to say to you? Oh man, Toad. <laughs> first of all, first of all, like, like, am I supposed to take him seriously or what? That's, I don't, I don't that's even completely know. up to you. If you want to go to him and start laughing, just remember. He's letting you in. <laughs> you know, at first, first he I just... He may be the butler of the Mushroom Kingdom, but, you know, eventually he's going to get that respect. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Fair enough, fair enough. Sorry, Toad. Uh, you know. <laughs> um, first, first of all, I'd, I would like to thank him for the hours of enjoyment he provided in my youth. Uh, you know, I... <laughs> Grew up in the the 80s and 90s, and you know, so I have a soft spot for uh, for you know the whole Mario Brothers crew and, and uh, that sort of thing. <laughs> so, uh, but what 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 was the question again? I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, 
what, what, what would you like him to say to you? When he looks over everything, uh, what, would, question what, what's, mm-hmm. what would you like him to say? <clears throat> yeah, would, would, you, would you look over kind of everything? Um, what, yeah. What, what's the word he's going to give you? Yeah, I'd, I'd hope it would be, you know, um, you know, thanks, thanks for, you know, at least attempting to give back to this community of gamers who's given you so much, you know. So that's, you know, if you said that, I'd be thrilled. Absolutely. All right, let's take you pass. <laughs> Actually, it's, right. it's not completely over. I've got one random question to ask you. Okay. Um, are you looking forward to the Bureau XCOM Declassified? Bureau? Ah. I'm a little torn. I, I, haven't, I don't know enough about the game. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, uh, I could see it being a cool game and maybe just not for me. Sure. Um, so, you know, I, I don't want to pass judgment on it yet. I'd, I'd have to play it. All right, I'm just I I, I don't do a lot of uh, I, don't, I don't do a lot of strategy games. My, my brain doesn't work that way, really. Um, yeah. But I'm I'm finding myself strangely drawn to it, and I'm yeah. kind of hoping that it'll be good and will be like my gateway drug into yeah. strategy <laughs> games. So, so uh, if I remember correctly, they're they're basically taking a squad based approach, right? Uh, as mm-hmm. far as uh, yeah and. Um, so it's it's kind of similar to uh, some of the uh, more uh, what's a game? There's a there's a Rainbow Six and, and some stuff like that. I think where you, where you're sort of banding different people. You know, I I play those games. They're, they're kind of fun. I, I'm I'm not that good at them. <laughs> so. All right. Uh, well, to to finish things off, if you could uh, let people know um, when maybe they might be able to get their hands on Tooth and Cog and where they can go to uh, to help support it. Well, to to help support it, you can go to Kickstarter and just search for Tooth and Cog, um, or you can find out a little bit more, um, you know, as, uh, on our website rivetinggames.com. And, you know, I just want to, you know, thank any, any backers in advance. And, uh, you know, this, this, as far as the timeline goes, it's the balls in your court, you know. <laughs> so it's, it's up to the world whether, whether this game gets delivered on schedule or not. So the, the timelines are posted as far as uh, that goes, beta and, and final release. It's posted on the Kickstarter website. All right. Well, thank you so much, Carrie, for uh, for joining us today. Um, hope uh, just you know wish you the best in the the rest of the Kickstarter. Hope everything goes great for you, and uh, have a good night. All right, you too. Thanks. Thanks for being on, Carrie, man. It was great talking. Yeah, yeah, great talking to you too.